Hey everybody, it's me Amanda with Once in a Wild and welcome back to Once in a Wild Wednesday. Sorry for the brief delay. I was trying to go live on Instagram. Hello Instagram family and I finally am live. I hope over on Instagram uh, over here on Once in a Wild Zoo at Once in a Wild Zoo is our Instagram handle. I'm sorry if I'm paused over here on Facebook and YouTube. Hopefully I'm okay. Um, but welcome back to Once in a Wild Wednesday where we broadcast each and every Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. And it's a free live stream that you guys can enjoy with some of our animals. We brought three animal species for you guys to meet today. Uh, go ahead and let me know that you're out there because I want to make sure that the broadcast is going through um, because I did have a bit of a pause just now. So hopefully everything is okay. If this is the first time that you have seen me, hello, my name is Amanda and we are Once in a Wild, which is a outreach company here in San Antonio, Texas, which means we are a mobile zoo. That means that we bring animals to classrooms, birthday parties, nursing homes, uh, any event whatsoever, and all sorts of different places in person, as well as virtually, as you can see. We can actually give you a virtual experience of your own. If you would like to customize your virtual encounter through Zoom, you can actually pick the animals that you get to meet and you have so many choices to meet uh, from mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, creepy crawlies, and so many more. <laughs> and uh, you guys can actually have your own Zoom just like this and meet the animals of your choosing. So it looks like we are doing good on Instagram. Hello, Instagram. We don't usually uh, broadcast on Instagram each and every Wednesday, but we are today. And I have been having a whole lot of guests on the show and we plan to have another guest uh soon actually next week and the week after and the week after that but today we're back to our regular show uh, because we don't have a guest today it just didn't work out in the scheduling and uh so it's just gonna be me with the animals like our regular show usually goes so without further ado let's go ahead and get started because it looks like we are doing well and uh, let's begin Okay, I'm so glad that everything is working now and we are doing well. I'm gonna go over to our comments to make sure that uh, anybody's leaving a comment or not. Hello, Donna, Donna says hi. That is actually my mom. She usually watches the show with us. She's very supportive. And hi over on Instagram. If you guys on Instagram have any questions or comments that you wanna leave me on Instagram, I will do my very best to follow your comments and questions over there. Um, but we are going to be bringing out three animal species today. And if you, this is the first time you've ever seen the show, my name is Amanda and we are once in a wild, a mobile, zoo here in San Antonio, Texas. If you happen to be in the San Antonio, Texas area, this Sunday over at Alamo Ranch, we are going to be having a public event with our petting zoo experience and also animals on the table as well. So we're going to be joining Alamo Ranch pop-up uh, market, which is a pop-up market, of course, and that is going to be over on Culebra Road. And the full details are found at onceinawild.com. We're supposed to be out there from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. And we would love to see you guys out there in person if you happen to be in the San Antonio, Texas area. We would love to have you guys come out and meet some of our animals like our rabbit, our guinea pigs, our tortoises, our bearded dragon. And we also usually have animals like snakes and uh, maybe even a spider or a fun scorpion or something like that on the table. So you guys can look at them and take photos of them too. You never know what you're going to see out there, but we always do bring, of course, our ducks as well. I almost forgot about our beautiful Pekin ducks. Um, our petting zoo experience will be out there. And for that experience, we are asking $8 donations to enter the petting zoo per person or per child um, and mom and dad you can come on in with the children if you want to and take all the photos that you want and that gets you personal time with our Pekin ducks our Flemish giant rabbit our guinea pigs our bearded dragon and our tortoises and you get to kind of have some one-on-one -on -one time with our petting zoo experience which is always a lot of fun and it's also a big hit for birthday parties as well as you might imagine 
you can book us for your for your birthday parties coming up. We are booking all the weekends uh, that we can, and a lot of them are already taken. But please let me know if you have a birthday party date in mind. We can always do a weekday evening too if you would like, and uh, that is super flexible. We are very very flexible and very very custom. Or you can opt to not having a petting zoo, and you can actually have an animal presentation, and you can choose a lot more different animals for that sort of thing. Like for example, our iguana, our opossums. Uh, snakes, all sorts of animals, some of our other birds and things like that, that you can actually meet and not necessarily have a petting zoo type encounter. Um, or you can even opt to have animal therapy with some of our other animals too. Uh, some of the some of the uh, petting zoo animals are great for animal therapy as well, but that's a more personal experience with just you and your family. We can come on over and bring some of those animals for you to spend just some one-on-one -on -one time, nice and relaxing. Or we can even bring animals out for exposure therapy. And that actually means that we're helping you get uh, over your fears and your phobias regarding animals. So exposure therapy could be as simple as maybe just looking at an animal that you might be uncomfortable with, like a snake, a spider, or um, what else are people sometimes leery of? Frogs. There's all sorts of animals that you might be a little bit apprehensive of roaches, things like that. Um, and we actually have some of those animals that can come visit you and give you a little bit of a good experience, a positive experience with some of those animals that you may not really like that much, um, but we can hopefully change your mind and help you to have empathy and uh, consideration for those animals, even though you may not be the biggest fan of them. But that's another thing that we actually have helped many, many people, especially with snakes. Snakes are one of my favorite animals in the entire world and they get a really bad reputation for being dangerous, for being deadly, and for being just mean, ugly monsters. And they're really not. Um, of course, there are some snakes and some animals in general all over the world and in your own backyard sometimes that could harm you and could be dangerous. But the best thing to do with those animals that you see in the wild and the wild is to leave them alone. <laughs> the wild could be your backyard. The wild could be the woods while you're camping. The wild could be anywhere that you go in the world where animals are living in the wild, right? Where they are kind of like on their own, not somebody's pet or not a zoo animal, not an animal ambassador like our animals, right? Uh, if you see an animal out there in nature, we wanna encourage you guys to leave them alone and they will almost always leave you alone as well. That's the best thing you can do if you see a snake and you're not sure what kind of snake it is, whether it's dangerous or not, you see a spider and you're not sure what it is or if it's dangerous or not, or you see XYZ animal, the best thing you can do if you can, get away, step away, get back in your house, get back in your car, whatever you need to do, step away and they're probably gonna leave you alone too. Not a big deal. Um, those animals are always there to do their job. Snakes have a very important job. Spiders have a very important job, for example, and that is to be a predator in their ecosystem. That means that they eat prey, which are other animals. And a lot of times, if we get too many of those prey animals like rats and mice and insects of different types, we can actually get sick and the environment gets sick. And every single animal, every natural animal living in its ecosystem, I'm not talking about pets or invasive species, I'm talking about natural animals that naturally occur in their ecosystem has a very important purpose. And that balance will be thrown off if some of those animals become, of course, destroyed or hurt in any way, right? So we wanna encourage you guys to leave them alone and they'll leave you alone and maybe have a little bit of an open mind when it comes to some of those animals that you may not be the biggest fan of. And we're actually gonna meet a couple of those kind of creepy crawly critters today. I brought two creepy crawlies and I brought, well, more than two, but two creepy crawly species and that some of you may be a little bit nervous around. 
And uh, I brought one furry animal that I'm sure none of you guys are super afraid of, but they happen to be one of the most capable predators in all of our animal collections. So we'll actually meet him last and we'll meet the two creepy crawlies first. And the grand finale will be our, our predatory furry animal. How about that? Hello, Ash Eel. It is so good to see you all the way from Miami. I'm so appreciative of you guys supporting our channel and supporting our uh, what we do. Um, and we, we wanna make sure that you guys know that if you enjoy the show, there are ways to tip and donate to Once in a Wild and help us feed our animals, take care of our animals and support us in our endeavors to educate the masses on animals and to make the world a better place in our own little way, right? And we hope to reach all sorts of people to make sure that they uh, have empathy for animals. You love what we are doing. Thank you so much for saying that. That is such a nice, encouraging compliment. It's been a very rough year and a very rough couple of years. So all the encouragement is very appreciated and uh, we definitely hear it. Hello over on Instagram. You're saying yes and everything else is so nice to see you. Um, so. I wanted to let you guys know that there are ways to donate, tip, and whatnot, and those are down below. Number one is going to be Venmo and Cash App. Well, those are number one and number two, I guess. Number three would be PayPal and at once in a wild com, which is down below over here on YouTube and, and uh, Facebook, but you can find onceinawild.com pretty easily right over on Instagram as well. It should be in our description. Onceinawild.com, pretty easy to find. We're also onceinawildzoo.com because just to be less confusing in case you're over on Instagram and you want to find our website and you're typing in onceinawildzoo, we actually have that one too. So onceinawild or onceinawildzoo.com, either way, you can actually find our Amazon wish list, which I do need to update, but there are still many, many updates, many, many, many items uh, that you can actually purchase for us and donate straight to our animals and send to our door. And that's a really fun way to actually donate as well. We have caging on there and animal toys and we have all sorts of like blankets and uh, carriers and all sorts of things that we need to take care of our animals, food, <laughs> all sorts of cool things that you can actually send to us. So that's one really great way to support us as well. But my favorite way to support what we do is actually booking your own animal encounter, whether it be virtual all the way to Miami or somewhere else outside of Texas or our city in San Antonio. Or if you happen to be in San Antonio, Texas, uh, you can book your own in-person animal encounter. And I do want to let you guys know, of course, we offer virtual in case things go south again with COVID. So I want to make sure you guys know that we have something for everybody in case you need a classroom presentation that's virtual and you're not necessarily wanting something in person. Uh, or like I said, if you live in somewhere somewhere else besides San Antonio, I know you guys live all over the place. Um, but in person is also an option for classrooms coming up for school as well as birthday parties as usual. We are okay to be indoors as well as outdoors. So if you prefer to have your friends and family have a little out door gathering uh, to be a little safer or that's just your preference we can uh, certainly accommodate that we have animals suited for outdoors and animals suited suitable for indoors as well um and honestly most of the animals that we have save for maybe like the ducks <laughs> the ducks are a little messy most of our animals can do a indoor encounter just fine so for your classroom needs and for your indoor needs in general as we come up into the the winter time when it becomes colder it feels like it was just winter yesterday with all the snow I'm having flashbacks to our crazy storm that we had here in Texas uh -huh, flashbacks Terrible. Um, but uh, before you know it, it's going to be cooler again. And I want to let you guys know that we can come indoors as well. Or again, do the virtual thing if you guys are more comfortable with that. So I want to let you guys know all your options. But that's my favorite way that you can support us. If you're interested in booking your own animal encounter, of course, let me know. My number's right here down below on Facebook and on 
YouTube and on Instagram. It should be in our description. Our number is right there. The number is also on the website, onceinawild.com. Let's check on you guys and see what you have to say. Feel free to please ask all the questions and leave me all the wonderful comments down below. Please keep it family friendly, of course. But this is always an interactive Q&A, if you will, about the animals that we're meeting. Or you guys can even try to ask me questions about anything, <laughs> anything at all. What we do about me, you can ask me about the animals that I've worked with in the past. I'm an open book. As long as we keep it family friendly, that is just fine. And you guys are, you guys know that it's going to be a, a very, very interactive uh endeavor here today. So it's really nice to see you guys. We missed you last week. Sorry about the rerun. I actually had a conflict in scheduling. I had another event that I had to take care of and I could not be a part of the live stream last week. So that doesn't happen very often. And when it does, we just run a rerun and we had our special guest from Aloe Ranch pop-up market, <laughs> which is where we're going to be this Sunday. So we thought we would show that again. All right. Oh, you said, um, Let's see. Well, it's Rhino041 says, I think that's the, the what it is. <laughs> For Instagram, it's a little bit hard to pronounce some of the handles, but I think it's Rhino041, say that five times up, <laughs> says, y'all are so awesome. My son and daughter Shiloh and Silas love watching you. That is so sweet. I'm so glad to have so many wonderful fans on Instagram as well as YouTube and uh, where are we? <laughs> Facebook, all over the place. If you haven't already joined and um, become a follower of our social medias, whatever social media you like the best, we have TikTok. We have Twitter. We don't do much on Twitter, to be honest with you, but we have TikTok and we do have a Twitter and we have a Facebook and we have an Instagram, right? And we also have a YouTube. If you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube, we need a lot of help on YouTube to get more subscribers. We don't have that many. On Facebook and Instagram, we're doing very well. TikTok. We're also slacking a little bit. So if you like TikTok, go over to our TikTok once in a wild zoo and uh, go ahead and follow us. We have some really fun and family friendly TikToks, I promise. <laughs> and uh, those are a lot of fun for the whole family. So check them out. They're kind of funny as well. But that's a free way you can help us out as well. And it does help us out quite a bit. And telling all your friends and family that love animals about us. Um, another really great way to help us out is actually leaving reviews over on uh, Yelp and over on Google. You can actually leave us some reviews on our services. If you have experienced us even just here on the live stream or you've experienced us in person or on your own Zoom, we are very appreciative of a review. That is very, very important for a small business like ours. <laughs> Ash says, yes, your virtual shows are super. Our class loved the show. I remember your class and I'll never forget it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Ash says, we also did one with our friends in Ecuador, and it was a fun and educational way for us all to get together and a safe way as well, right? That was in the middle of the pandemic. We're still in the middle of it. We're still in the thick of it, right? Um, but that was when things were pretty bad and we were all in quarantine. So I remember you guys wanted to uh, gift a Zoom for somebody's birthday to Ecuador, which was pretty awesome. That was one of my first kind of international shows that I did. That was a lot of fun. Here's a good question. What animal do you want that you don't currently have? There's so many. <laughs> so I am always kind of thinking about the future. And uh, we do have an exciting animal that we're going to announce very soon that we already have that is actually not a public animal yet. Nobody knows about, well, some people know about this animal, but not everybody knows about this animal yet. But I'm going to announce this animal later. So stay tuned and uh, just, just be excited because she's really cool. 
she is really cool. Anyway, uh, so uh, there are so many animals that I'd love to have in the future once we get a little bit bigger, once we have the funds, obviously, because not all these animals are free and not all these animals are free to take care of. In fact, none of them are. Um, one animal that we are looking for very soon is going to be an owl. Owls are amazing education animals and one of my favorite animals to talk about and teach about. Uh, and everybody loves an owl, right? So those are fun. Um, another animal we would love to have in the future, the kangaroo. Kangaroos are really wonderful, typically calm and wonderful animals to teach about as well and have people experience. You can usually touch them and experience them uh, firsthand. Uh, what other animals? There's so very many. Porcupines are a really cool animal as well. You guys know that I love my creepy crawlies, but mammals and birds for sure. And I'm sure I'll think of some more. Hmm, <laughs> let's see. I have a great memory, thank you. Oh, about the party? Well, I'll never forget you guys. How could I? Yes, a kangaroo would be pretty cool. Kangaroos are wonderful animals. They're one of my favorite marsupials. We have a marsupial now. Uh, we have two of them and they are opossums. Okay, you guys, well, I wanna make sure I'm not missing any comments. Hello everyone over on Instagram, you guys are wonderful. We are going to get to our animal encounter in just a little bit. Okay, indigo snake. Yes, Ricky, you tell me and remind me which animals we've been talking about. Indigo snakes are really awesome. We have a woma python. Woma pythons are really cool, but indigo snakes are one of my favorite snakes in the whole wide world. So why don't we start with a snake now that we're segueing into snakes. Now remember, here at Once in a Wild, we have all kinds of animals. And we can help you maybe um, become a little more comfortable with animals you might be nervous around. So if you're nervous around snakes, this is actually a great way to meet a snake because you're, uh, you know, behind a screen and the snake isn't anywhere near you. But let me tell you what, snakes get a really bad reputation and not really earned. <laughs> uh, snakes are wonderful animals. This guy here, his name is Long. Long, and not in English, but in Mandarin, means dragon. And he is a beautiful Chinese beauty snake. <laughs> it's right there in the name. His name is, well, his species rather, is the Chinese beauty snake, or the Chinese um, beauty rat snake is what sometimes they are called. They are a, of course, Chinese species and known as an old world rat snake, uh, Asian rat snake. So they're in the Asian rat snake family. When we say rat snake, that doesn't mean that he only eats rats. He actually has a pretty wide, varied diet in the wild. The species would live in the mountains of China and like the wooded areas, forests, all of that. Um, their altitude is a little bit um, thinner and higher than like what I'm used to. And they actually prefer cooler temperatures uh, in comparison to other snakes. So they're actually a pretty easy snake to take care of in your home, <laughs> if you guys were wondering. Um, and he's one of my favorites. So, and the reason is, is because, well, they eat really well, but they also don't really need a lot of heat. In fact, room temperature is perfect for them because they prefer it a little bit cooler. In fact, um, if you do put a heat lamp on him, he will usually avoid it. <laughs> the species does not like the extreme heat. They might bask a little bit in nature and get a little bit of warmth, just like any snake or reptile would. But this guy is going to be more of a cool weather, high altitude, um, easygoing kind of snake. They prefer it kind of in the 70s. So super easy to care for in your home. Uh, in case you were wondering, um, they're actually not a bad pet of sorts. Although we don't call our animals pets, we call them animal ambassadors, right? 
he is an animal ambassador for his species. But um, snakes actually do not make bad pets, <laughs> depending on the person. Uh, pets are not toys, so we don't recommend just getting one on impulse or anything like that, right? No animal is a toy and should be bought on impulse. But snakes, in my opinion, make some of the best pet reptiles, depending on the species of snake. And colubrids, like him, are some of my favorites to actually recommend for pets. He is pretty beautiful. Chinese beauty snake because of the beautiful pattern and colors that he has. And check him out climbing. You can see that this snake has an amazing ability to climb. Um, a lot of rat snakes like him, whether they be a rat snake from the United States or from all over the world, most rat snakes have a very good climbing ability. Um, and their bodies are a little more thin, right, than like a python, a boa constrictor, something like that. They're not really a true constrictor. They can wrap around their food to hold it still for a little bit, but typically these guys are a lot faster when it comes to eating than like a boa constrictor or a python. Boa constrictors and pythons, they are a little bit more picky whether the animal is moving around or not when they're eating them. Uh, boas and pythons will use their very heavy muscles and body to wrap around and make very sure that that animal is dead before consuming it. These guys, they don't really care as much. The animal's still wiggling, they might hold it still with their wrapped around coils, uh, but they will probably just start eating it. And what do they eat? Well, we were talking about that, right? They're known as rat snakes. <laughs> He's making me work over here. Uh, they're known as rat snakes, but they don't just eat rats. In fact, they rarely eat rats because they're not a very large snake, as you can see. He's about half grown now. They don't get too, too big. The Chinese uh, beauty snake is one of the smaller of the beauty snakes. Some of the beauty snakes out there in Asia get a lot bigger than the Chinese version, but he could get around five foot or so, maybe six foot maximum pushing it. Um, that's not a very big rat snake. Some of the other rat snakes, they get eight plus feet. Uh, so that would be a lot bigger. However, he's still a skinny, thin snake. He's not ever going to be that large to eat like a big rat, right? He's going to eat things like mice, birds, lizards, sometimes other snakes. Although with rat snakes, it's not as common as some other snakes like indigos or king snakes or milk snakes or bull snakes. Some of those guys eat snakes a lot more often than the rat snake family does. Um, but these guys do have a varied diet. They don't just eat rats. Um, somebody just, I guess, absor absorbed, <laughs> observed them rather, um, eating rodents. And so they coined the term rat snake, like rodent snake is probably more appropriate. He's saying hi to you guys over on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. He is absolutely beautiful. Um, he is so shiny and iridescent. You're kind of missing out over here in virtually, but I'm sure you can see it a little bit. Look at that beautiful tongue. Like all snakes, they do sense smells with their tongue. They really don't smell with their nose at all. Um, they do breathe with their nostril, but they do not smell that way. Um, they smell with the tongue by picking up scents in the air or scents that he is smelling on surfaces say that five times less, with his forked tongue. His forked tongue has two points on the end of it, and that tongue is very slender, and it's very easy to move in and out of his mouth very quickly. And that picks up all sorts of scents and directs scents back into his mouth when he puts his tongue back in. And that will actually touch the roof of his mouth, of course. And on the roof of his mouth, he's got a pocket, tiny pocket of the, that the little tips of the tongue actually stick into when they return back into the mouth. And that little pocket is called a Jacobson's organ. And the Jacobson's organ is uh, basically a line straight to the brain. And by smells via the tongue, ooh, um, he can actually tell his brain what's going on just by smelling with the tongue. 
he's going to be able to learn about his environment. Snakes also do not have the ability to blink, so you will never see him blinking. He has a spectacle scale on each eye. They're, of course, covered in scales all over their body, just like all reptiles. All reptiles do have scales on their body, every single kind of. Uh, snakes and some other animals, too, that are in the reptile category, like uh, geckos, for example. It's another type of lizard, right? Um, snakes, of course, have a spectacle scale over their eye. And that is to protect the eye, of course. <laughs> and that causes them to not be able to blink. They're fixed eyes, basically a fixed eyelid, but it's a scale over the eye. And they don't blink. They can move their eyes within the spectacle scale. But um, you would think because he has his eyes open all the time, he could see really well, right? Not the case. These guys really don't see very well. Snakes really don't see color very well at all, <laughs> as far as we know, right? And uh, they don't really see very sharply either. So that sense of smell is going to be their best sense by far. And guess what? Snakes do not have any ears. So it is debatable whether they can hear whatsoever. Um, they probably hear a little bit. And uh, they do respond to very loud noises because, of course, they're going to be able to feel the vibrations. And they do sometimes respond to certain tones tones. Uh, but they don't respond to every noise and they usually do not hear you when you're talking and things like that. So it's kind of debatable whether they can hear or not. Uh, we're learning all the time, so you never know. But there are no ears there <laughs> and externally at all. There are internal ears. That's mostly for balance, though, as far as we know. And they certainly don't use hearing as their main sense. Their main sense by far is their sense of smell via that tongue, remember. Not taste, but smell. Look at him looking at the camera. That was so pretty. Uh, he is absolutely gorgeous. Now, a lot of people are concerned that he's going to bite me. I'll be okay. His mouth is so small. And remember, he is just a rat snake. He is not a venomous species. He is not a cobra. He is not, of course, a coral snake or anything like that. And he's certainly not a viper. These guys are totally non-venomous, totally harmless to humans. And he really doesn't bite. Uh, he's a good boy. But um, if I smelt like food or something like that, he might use his sense of smell and think, ooh, that smells great. I want to eat that. He might try to eat it. So the best thing to do is just wash your hands before handling snakes. I don't recommend you guys handling snakes if you don't know what you're doing in the wild, especially. Um, but we here at Once in a Wild and all the jobs that I've worked with snakes, which is so very many different snakes that I've handled over the year, uh, we make sure and wash our hands. We don't smell like rats and mice on our hands and whatever else they eat, right? If you're dealing with king snakes, they eat other snakes a lot. So you don't want to smell like snakes or lizards. And usually you're fine. But if he were to try to bite me, I would be fine. Uh, this guy's teeth are very tiny and his mouth is pretty small. He can eat something about two to three times the size of his head width wise and be able to eat it. It would take a little bit of effort for him because remember he's not a python or a boa. So his body isn't as thick and capable of eating a big meal like that. But he's still a snake and he can actually stretch out his mouth pretty well to be able to eat a big food item. And he does not eat every day by any means. He eats about once a week or so. Um, but his mouth is pretty small. He definitely can't eat me. <laughs> and the teeth are more like Velcro on this type of snake than anything else. They stick to things and then he's able to just swallow it whole, right? His teeth are not designed for chewing or really much else <laughs> than just holding on for a little bit. And a snake bite too, a non-venomous snake bite, I wanna be clear about that, not a venomous snake bite, that is very serious. And the only thing you can do in that case is go straight to the hospital immediately. If you happen to ever know anybody that gets bitten by a, a venomous snake out when you're camping or an accident happens, uh, do not suck out the poison, do not tourniquet the wound, do not do anything. <laughs> Just go straight to the hospital and keep that person very calm. The calmer you are, the more likely you're going to be just fine. And most of the time you will be just fine as long as you get to the hospital. 
It could be a very expensive hospital visit, uh, but uh, you will be okay. But remember, remember, the best thing to do is to just avoid the snake entirely. Don't try to harm them. Don't try to hurt them. Of course, harm and hurt is the same thing, Amanda. Uh, don't try to pick them up if you don't know what you're doing and you're not like a herpetologist or something like that. Stay safe, stay away from them, enjoy them from a distance if you like them, or run away <laughs> if you don't like them. Um, one way you can actually discourage a snake from being in your yard if they're there now is by using a water hose. Remember, snakes don't really hear anything, so they're not gonna hear you saying, get out of here, snake. They're just gonna be like, I don't understand that. <laughs> They'll probably just stay there. But if they see you or if they smell you, they're probably gonna try to leave and just let them leave. If that doesn't work though, uh, you don't wanna approach them, of course, we don't recommend that. Uh, you can get the water hose and just kind of give them a gentle little squirt with the water hose and they should not really enjoy that cold water and try to get away from that. And simple as that. That's one of the best ways to get them to leave. Um, but you can also, if, if you know what kind of snake you have and it's something that's harmless, you can just let them be in your yard as long as it's a safe place for the snake to be away from cats and dogs, right? Keep your cats inside, keep your dogs uh, contained in your yard and hopefully they'll be all right. But uh, snakes are definitely more um, fragile and in danger of being harmed by your pets than vice versa. So that's the very, very... Uh, very real truth right there. Let me see what you guys have to say. Very elegant. So elegant. Thank you. He is quite beautiful. His name is Long and that is a Mandarin word for dragon. This is a Chinese beauty snake from China. He is not specifically from China. We try not to get our animals from the wild unless they are rescued animals, of course. That, that is the exception with, with our animals here once in a while. Uh, most of the reptiles that we have are not wild caught. They're going to be animals that are captive bred unless they're rescues, right? He's glossy, yes he is. How long is, is their lungs or stomach? So fun fact about snakes is they have um, every internal organ that we have inside of their bodies. They're really not that much different than we are. Most reptiles are like that too. But snakes, a lot of people think that they must be totally different because of their long, long bodies and skinny bodies. Look how beautiful he is, you guys. Oh, he's just gorgeous. How come people don't like them? They're my favorite. Snakes are my favorite, especially the colubrids like him. There's many different types of colubrids, but he's one of my favorites. So their lungs, um, one is actually a very long lung, and that's the only one that functions. And the other lung inside of their body does not function. So they do have two lungs, but one is just kind of there, and the other one actually breathes for him. So that is very different than us, right? But he does have two lungs. And you were asking about the heart. Oh no, the stomach. Well, the heart is pretty much small, um, but the stomach is elongated and stretched out too. So the lung that is functioning and the stomach is elongated. So it's kind of like in this section. So from my, uh, what do you call it? My tube, my finger and thumb here is gonna be where his kind of internal organs are stretched out. So his <laughs> lung would be first and the stomach a little bit behind that. And the reason I know that, not just from studying anatomy, but also from watching them eat. So the, the food will kind of gather in this section and you'll see like a little belly that's a little bit fuller when they actually eat, which is pretty cute if you ask me. So it is definitely elongated to fit in there. It's a really fun thing to look up if you look up snake anatomy. Uh, but if you look it up, they have one lung that's very small, just kind of like a little kidney, <laughs> and it doesn't do anything, and uh, one lung that actually breathes for them. And they do breathe air just like us. They breathe through their, their nostrils, and they do have to breathe air. They can hold their breath a lot longer than we can because they're reptiles and their metabolism is much slower than us. Um, so yeah. In Maryland, all snakes are protected. That is great. 
Oh my goodness, does something startle you? I'm so sorry. You see him get a little bit spooked there, but all he did was move like, ah. So when this type of snake gets spooked, usually the first thing they're gonna do is kind of freeze like this, maybe try to blend into the tree branches and things wherever they are, or they might try to get away. They're very fast. This type of snake is super duper quick when they wanna be. Um, he's not being very quick because he's very used to being handled and everything, but a wild version of the Chinese beauty snake is extremely fast when they wanna be, and they can get right out of the way and uh, hide from their enemies. Now, what might their enemies be? It could really be any kind of predator. They're not a very large animal in general, so it could be any type of wild predator, uh, whether it be a bird or a mammal, another type of reptile, lots of animals eat snakes, which is why a lot of snakes are very defensive when they encounter humans, and rightly so. A lot of humans do harm snakes, don't they? But remember, most snakes are completely harmless to humans, and no snake wants to bite you. In fact, even the venomous snakes do not want to use their venom on you. Their venom is precious to to them. Their venom helps to break down their food and typically paralyze and, and uh, inhibit their food from running away, right? Um, and kill off their prey very quickly. That is how they eat and how they live. They're not using their venom really for defense very much. Um, that doesn't really happen in nature very often. Of course, accidents happen and they could, you know, try to bite for defense and they happen to have venom in their mouth. Uh, that's just the way it is for them. Um, but they would much rather keep their venom to themselves and use it for, of course, eating their food and everything, right? It's actually a pre-digestive saliva. Um, it's one of the most extreme versions of saliva in the animal kingdom. <laughs> Has a whole lot of different properties in there that makes them venomous. Um, is there a difference, this is over on Instagram, um, is there a big difference between the corn snake and the rat snake? So they are in the same kind of family category. Corn snakes are just more specific type of rat snake, but the corn snake itself is actually the red rat snake. That's another name for the corn snake. So they have two names. This is the Chinese beauty snake, also known as the Chinese beauty rat snake. And I'm sure there's other names for them as well that I'm forgetting. Um, and everybody has their own scientific name as well. So they are in the same family, they're different species. Great question. And there are many other different types of colubrids. Colubrids are my favorite types of snakes. Um, they're typically the slender bodied, um, of course, non-venomous type of snakes out there, kind of the leftovers of all the snakes. But there are some that are a little bit different looking in, in body form, um, like the hognose snakes. Hognose snakes are considered colubrids as well. And hognose snakes are actually mildly venomous if you're getting technical, uh, not this guy, the hognose snakes. But hognose snakes are not deadly to humans, but they are what we call rear fanged venomous. And that typically is used to, of course, um, uh, on their prey, like things like frogs. Hognose snakes are known for eating frogs and lizards in the natural world. Right long. Hey, buddy. <laughs> so he's moving around quite a bit. Hmm. Oh, here's a good question. Can you put your snakes together in the same enclosure or would they fight? Um, most snakes actually get along pretty well in general, but it's never really a good idea to cohabitate reptiles of any kind long term. You can cohabitate a lot of baby snakes sometimes, but some of them you absolutely cannot, like king snakes and milk snakes and bull snakes and things like that. Those guys actually will eat other snakes. So it's never a good idea to put them together. And to be very honest with you, they don't really like company. 
There's a couple of exceptions though, um, and that would be like the garter snakes. Garter snakes tend to be very social in nature, and then rattlesnakes as well tend to be pretty social in nature as well. So you'll see a lot of zoos keep rattlesnakes together, maybe some other species too. Um, and if you see garter snakes on display, they will typically be together as well. And some snakes like ball pythons typically get along just fine, but most of the time we don't recommend cohabitating just because um, they're a solitary species by nature and so they prefer to be by themselves. So that's a little bit more stress to put on them if you're cohabitating them and there's just too many snakes in the same enclosure, if that makes sense. Mm. Most snakes will not fight each other. There are a few exceptions. Um, some Sometimes courtship um, behavior will involve two males kind of uh, sparring. It's not really a true fight, but a lot of vipers and things like that will actually stand up straight next to each other. Like there's two snakes like this. Imagine my arms are snakes. <laughs> and uh, they'll kind of like shove each other around, but that's more for like a ritualistic uh, courtship than anything else. Uh, they're not really hurting each other, one another. In fact, they're pretty gentle with one another, but it's a pretty neat thing to see. Now, again, a lot of snakes do eat each other. So not every snake is created equal. So it just kind of depends. That was a good question, you guys. Let me see. Oh, you're, the duck TikTok is now very famous. Uh, we posted it on uh, all of our social media. Uh, we have a uh, TikTok of one of our, well, I take it back. We have a TikTok of both of our Pekin ducks walking down the runway. <laughs> and uh, you just have to check it out for yourself over on TikTok and Instagram. And I think it's on Facebook as well. Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure I'm not missing any questions. That was a good question. He's so thin. Does that mean that his prey needs to be very small? Pretty much. Um, again, he could eat something about twice to three times the size of his head. We typically feed him pretty small mice, and he does very well at this size. He has gotten a lot bigger than what he used to be. We were just talking about that today. Uh, behind the scenes, we were mentioning how, um, how much bigger he's gotten over the years. I've had him for about four or so years, so he's at least four or five years old. And he was just a little baby when we got him, super small. And uh, he's already gotten a lot bigger, doing very well, very, very healthy and he eats like a champ. So as you can see, he's doing just fine. Uh, but he does eat small mice. When we first got him, he ate pinkies and fuzzies, uh, which are baby mice, of course. Now, when we feed our animals and our snakes uh, mice, we do not feed them live. We don't recommend doing that unless you have a snake that just will not eat anything else. That's the only exception that I would recommend. But most of the time when you feed a live rodent, first of all, it's not very nice for the rodent, right? Um, you, uh, you are also putting your snake at risk as well because the rodent has sharp teeth. Did you know? <laughs> Unless it's a baby rodent, then they don't have teeth yet. Um, but they have very sharp teeth, rodent. Um, they chew on things all the time and their teeth are ever growing and they're very sharp. Uh, so it's not really a great situation for your snake. They could get bored and start munching on your snake if your snake's not quick, quick enough about eating it. Happens to ball pythons all the time and other snakes too, uh, especially with rats. And uh, also when the snake goes to eat the live rodent, a lot of times uh, they will fight back and try to defend themselves because of course, <laughs> wouldn't you? Uh, so it's not really recommended by us that you feed your animals live unless of course you have that exception where your animal will just not eat anything dead or frozen thawed as we like to say. Um, but it's also a much less cruel way to feed out to your animals. It's just by uh, using animals that are already euthanized humanely and uh, whatnot. So he does eat anything that we give him. He's not a problem, which is why I love rat snakes and colubrids in general so much. They are typically great eaters. 
Is he still growing? Yes. Uh, since he is a reptile, they never really stop growing. Reptiles are ever growing type animals. <laughs> and uh, he is kind of like a teen snake right now. This species can live into their 20s and he's only four or five years old at this point. I think he's five now. And uh, he is going to get about six foot, maybe more or less, five or six foot. And uh, so he's, he's about, hmm, let's say half grown at this point, like thickness wise and everything. He's going to be just gorgeous. He's already gorgeous. But yes. Fun noodle <laughs> over on Instagram. You're hilarious. Okay, so that was Long, our beautiful Chinese beauty snake. He is just gorgeous. I love his yellow coloration. This yellow, uh, kind of greenish yellow coloration with the pattern uh, blends in very nicely in nature with that beautiful camouflage on his dorsal, right? So the dorsal of this snake has a varied pattern, which is one of my favorite things about them. On his neck, you will see there's really no pattern at all. On his head, by the way, he has these gorgeous stripes, which are like false eye spots that kind of will, in nature especially, help to camouflage where his actual eye is. And if he has grabbed a rodent or a bird, especially, birds are very smart and very, very defensive, usually, <laughs> usually smart. Uh, these guys have that false eye stripe or spot to be able to kind of disguise where his eyes are. And if any prey animal is trying to defend itself, scratching, clawing, biting, whatever, um, that can kind of disguise where the actual eye is and help him to maybe not lose an eye that day in nature. But again, we don't feed him live animals, so he doesn't have to worry about that with us. But that's kind of what that's for. It's also gorgeous. But you'll notice that the neck is kind of bare <laughs> uh, when it comes to being a pattern, patternless. And then the body is kind of like a, a garter snake right? With this beautiful pattern. And then if he'll let go of my wrist, <laughs> y'all can see it on Instagram. If he'll let go of my wrist with his prehensile tail, because they do have a prehensile tail being a tree climbing type animal. If he'll unwrap, I don't want to force them too bad. There we go. His tail has a stripe. <laughs> ah, he's on top of my head. What's up long? Uh, he's got a striped pattern on his tail. So he's like three snakes in one. Isn't that awesome? No pattern on the neck beautiful kind of checkered mixed camouflage pattern throughout the body. And then as we go down the tail, it gets darker and darker. And then a stripe on the prehensile tail. Check it out. The prehensile tail, check out how he can just grab onto my wrist with ease. Not every snake has that type of tail. Many snakes do, and many snakes can climb at least a little bit, right? But this guy, oh my gosh, he is just designed for climbing. They are great climbers. They can also be on the ground as well, maybe underground too sometimes to hide. They're quite versatile in where they can be at in the wild. <laughs> and uh, that's what we call semi-arboreal. That doesn't mean they're strictly arboreal all the time. Some snakes are strictly arboreal, like say a green tree python or a emerald tree boa or some of the other guys like that they're pretty much gonna be strictly arboreal, living up in the trees and kind of hanging out all the time, literally hanging out in the tree. This guy would be considered semi-arboreal, which means he can be in the trees if he wants to be, which is where they kind of prefer to be for safety and things like that, especially the smaller guy. Um, or they can be on the ground, searching for food on the floor of the forest as well. But I just love them. I think they are absolutely gorgeous. If snakes are not your cup of tea, I do understand. Not everybody is as crazy as we are here once in a while. I kid, I kid. We're not crazy, right? For loving these beautiful animals that are completely harmless <laughs> to humans. Um, not harmless to mice and rats and things, right? And birds and eggs and all sorts of lizards and things. They can eat those guys. But as far as humans go, he is completely harmless and gorgeous.
<laughs> Best thing to do if you see a snake, even if they're not your cup of tea, is leave them alone to do their job, which is eating all sorts of different prey animals that we talked about. There he is, oh, so cute. Uh, like mice and rats, which can actually make humans and all sorts of mammals sick and cause parasites to become rampant as well. And we don't need any of that going on, right? We want a healthier planet. We all can agree on that, that we want a healthier planet nowadays. So having predators like snakes in the natural environment is great for the natural environment. So he's gonna say, see you later, snake-a-gator. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Not me, I'm not leaving yet, but Long is gonna say, bye-bye for now. This is the type of snake that does move a lot. So I hope you have enjoyed all the action. He is just gorgeous. I absolutely love this guy with all my heart and i love the uh, asian rat snakes in general they're some of my absolute favorites uh, because he is such a wiggly guy it takes him a minute to get settled back into his travel enclosure as you might imagine he doesn't understand what's going on really so i'm gonna take my time and make sure that he is contained and he is <laughs> that was long our asian rat snake he is a chinese beauty snake what an appropriate name such a beautiful lovely animal uh people ask me all the time what my favorite animal is i don't really have a favorite but if i have to choose if you're gonna if you're gonna twist my arm snakes snakes are my favorite animals and here's a snake right here on my arm along with another one of my favorites which is an axolotl right here but snakes have always been one of my absolute favorite animals since i was very little um i've always wanted to advocate and uh kind of convince people that snakes aren't so bad and even the quote-unquote dangerous snakes aren't really that bad either. <laughs> um, all of those guys have their purpose in nature and should be left alone. And again, they don't wanna harm you. They don't even understand um, what's going on half the time when they accidentally bite somebody. A lot of times snakes are very surprised to see you uh, because again, they don't really hear very well, right? They don't have ears externally, so they don't really hear like we do, um, if at all, <laughs> really. They feel vibrations and things like that. That's a different way of sensing sound um, and Hi guys, over on Instagram if I broke up, sorry about that. Uh, Casper, Casparian Art, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. All the Instagram handles give me a challenge to pronounce. Casparian Art says, such a pretty baby, what kind was it again? He is a Chinese beauty snake. His name is Long and that is Mandarin for dragon. Uh, he is gorgeous, isn't he? Thank you for asking. If you guys have any other questions about any of the animals, um, please feel free to give me a little comment down below or a question down below. We would love that. What was I saying? The snakes of the world, one of my favorite animals ever. And I've always loved advocating for animals that people may not be comfortable with or maybe have a bad reputation or maybe people just are misunderstanding them. Animals like sharks and bats and snakes and spiders, all sorts of animals. And even bugs too. Do you guys wanna meet some bugs? It's been a long time, eh, a little time since we've had our cockroaches on the show. So I brought you guys some Madagascar hissing cockroaches. If you want to know something fun about me, the one animal that I'm really scared of in nature is the good old flying cockroach. Not a fan, but this is not going to be the same type of cockroach. This is a Madagascar hissing cockroach. And I did bring several of them to kind of see which ones would want to participate because sometimes our Madagascar hissing cockroaches don't want to participate. So I brought four of them just to make sure we have at least maybe one that's going to want to hang out. Um, these guys don't understand what's going on half the time and they are prey to a lot of animals. So a lot of times they just want to run away while we handle them. But I think this guy's going to be pretty good. Let's see if I can get him at an angle where I can actually hold him up so you can see him. 
There he is. Here's one of our bugs. You guys can both see them. Uh, this is a Madagascar hissing cockroach. This is one of the animals that I very much had to get used to handling um, in my work. So again, roaches aren't my favorite animal. Uh, I can fully admit that. These guys aren't so bad once you get used to them though. Um, they are not considered a pest animal. And they're not considered a dirty animal like other cockroaches are that can carry diseases. The reason that um, your common kitchen cockroach and other types of like German cockroaches and things, all those guys, uh, even the flying cockroaches, the reason that they are kind of considered a dirty animal is because of what they eat. They eat all sorts of things, anything they want. They're super eaters. <laughs> They're super omnivores. Um, they get into garbage. They get into any kind of garbage and trash. And the garbage and the trash stays on their body and doesn't get cleaned up. And so they're just wandering around spreading all that fun around for people to get sick from the germs on them. It's not necessarily just because of the roach themselves. Roaches themselves aren't really that bad. <laughs> uh, if it weren't for humans and other mammals and other birds and things having diseases in the first place, they really wouldn't be that bad of an animal. Uh, they're carrying around what we give them, uh, you know, kind of secondhand, and uh, bringing it to other areas because they're so resilient. Cockroaches in general are pretty amazing animals that should be admired for their resilience, for their adaptability. They can almost live anywhere, right? This type of cockroach lives in Madagascar in the wild. They don't live here in Texas or anywhere uh, in the United States or anywhere in the world except for Madagascar. Now, what makes them different from the, you know, common cockroach that you may, guys may know, well, they don't carry diseases because they only eat one kind of thing and that's gonna be detrite. What is detrite? Uh, they're detritivores. Uh, detritivores eat dead and decaying plant matter and some other things like soil and maybe some other things here and there mixed in the soil and the plants. They're kind of an omnivore, but they're considered a detritivore, which means they really don't eat anything that gross. It's gonna be plants and really just that's it. So they're not gonna be running around carrying diseases. They're also not a type of cockroach that has a ton of babies and they don't really infest uh, into different environments and habitats. Uh, cockroaches that you see in here in the United States and some areas of the world as well, um, they can live almost anywhere in cities, in dry and wet, in, uh, in between climates and deserts. They can live in forests, anywhere. This guy here, and it is a guy, by the way, he's a little boy. And I'll tell you how we know that here in a little bit. Um, he would be a tropical species. They only live in the tropics of Madagascar, right? And that's the only place that they can actually really thrive other than being in human care. Now, ours are thriving. Do you know how I know that? Because they have tons of babies and they're the only animals that I don't name <laughs> here once in a while because <laughs> I can't tell them apart and they have so many babies. <laughs> so I can't keep up. Um, so I just kind of call them the brood or the army of roaches, right? <laughs> so this is one of our males. Um, but again, not the same thing as your common kitchen cockroach, like I like to call them. I'm not even sure what species that is, uh, but I do know German cockroaches are a different species than that. And uh, yeah, so they're pretty cool. They actually have kind of a pretty uh, coloring and sheen to them. You guys see over here on Instagram, they're not so bad. Um, they also kind of feel like, like, like polished wood. They're very sturdy. They're one of the few type of invertebrates that we let kids hold because they're so sturdy. If a kid drops them or if they jump down, that's exactly what they're designed to do. Madagascar hissing cockroaches are prey to other animals in Madagascar, like lizards and birds and mammals of all sorts. Lemurs actually eat Madagascar hissing cockroaches on the regular. That's one of their, their favorite foods is the roaches. Right, buddy? He's like, oh no, lemurs, oh, yikes, help me, help me. So what they will do is they, they're very heavily armored. They're very, very thickly armored. 
is that a word? <laughs> Thickly, um, but they are heavily armored. They have a very, very strong exoskeleton. These guys typically live on the forest floor, eating all the dead, dead plants and dirt and things and soil on the forest floor, but they can also climb trees too. They climb very well. He's climbing on my hand right now. And if he wants to, he can literally just let go, let it go, let it go and jump down and be just fine. That is actually one of their defense mechanisms. So if they're up on a tree and they see a scary predator up there in the tree or near them, ah, they can just jump down and fall onto the ground. They can fall very far <laughs> and be totally fine. So when we have um, kiddos and adults, if you want to be brave and hold a cockroach <laughs> in one of our in-person animal encounters, you can do that. And if they fall, they are okay because that's what their body is designed to do. Isn't that cool? So they're very tough. They're also one of the most long lived of all the insect species, which is why a lot of animal outreach companies like us here at Once in a Wild, we have them because they're a great insect species to teach about that lives a lot longer than most other insects. So most insects of any type, they're not gonna live very long. They're gonna live basically uh, a few weeks, maybe a couple months, things like that. That's typical uh, longevity of an insect in general. Insects typically have a longer life while they're a larva or a worm, maybe even an egg. Uh, and then when they become an adult like this, they don't have a very long time to live. That is typical for most insects. However, this type of insect doesn't come from a larva. They're live born, by the way, they don't even come from an egg. Mom will have up to 30 babies at once, I believe. It could be more or less than that. I believe that's around. Uh, sometimes they have far less. I've seen some of our females have just like 10 <laughs> um, and they have live births and they come out as little miniatures, like literally the same thing, just a tiny one of these guys. And they just grow up from there and they molt their exoskeleton to grow just like most invertebrates, right? Most invertebrates have a really hard exoskeleton. Not every invertebrate has a hard exoskeleton, but the ones that do like crabs and spiders and scorpions and all these guys, the all the insects, um, to my knowledge, <laughs> they have a hard exoskeleton and they have to actually take off their entire exoskeleton or to grow. We're just gonna give my arm a rest over here. No other reason. I just want to move him over to the other arm so my other arm can get a rest. Ugh, he's so heavy. <laughs> he is big, but he's not heavy at all. I'm just weak. <laughs> I get tired after a long day's work. But um, these guys are longer lived, like I said. So they make a lot more sense for outreach companies like us and zoos to have in their um, animal education programs and things to have because they live a lot longer than a few weeks. I would love to have other insects. I actually really like bugs and invertebrates and insects and things. We have a whole lot of arachnids like uh, scorpions and tarantulas here at Once in a Wild. And those guys live a lot longer than most insects too. But we also love to teach you guys about insects and the difference between an insect and an arachnid. So insects have three main body parts, their head, their thorax, and their abdomen. So we have a head in the front, of course, with a little antenna on them. Antenna is also a feature of all insects too. Sometimes people call them feelers. That's not wrong either, but they're called antenna. So the head with an antenna, <laughs> the thorax, which is like their midsection, and their abdomen, which is their great big giant back end. And insects have six legs, Whereas spiders and scorpions and ticks, which are the arachnids, they have eight legs, two pedipalps, which are kind of like little arms in the front and no antenna. And they also have two body parts instead of three, like an insect. So it's really fun to talk about the differences and how we can respect insects. Did you know without insects, 
uh, we really wouldn't have much going on as far as crops. <laughs> uh, things like bees, unfortunately, are becoming endangered out there. Bees are very important to the human race and all animals throughout the planet uh, because they pollinate, of course, and without them, we're not going to do very well. So it's really important not to kill all the bugs you see. In fact, a lot of those insects deserve to be there too. Now, I'm not telling you not to, you know, get rid of fleas and ticks and the common cockroaches, not you, um, in your own environment. We definitely want to get professional help with that. But there are sustainable ways to do that without poison. There are sustainable ways to do that in general. So you always want to do your research when it comes to extermination of your uh, your problems with insects. I know it's been a really, really rough summer here in Texas. We've had a lot of fleas, a lot of ticks, a lot of all sorts of things. But uh, just do your research. I just want to make sure you guys know there's not just one way to kill off all the bugs. <laughs> um, and a lot of those bugs need to be there. So we don't want to do away with all of them, just the pesky ones, right? So one really great way to help out with an insect problem is having natural predators. So natural predators can be things like bats. Bats eat a lot of mosquitoes, don't they? And a lot of gnats and things like that and flies. Um, so having things like frogs in your own environment and toads, you can actually make a garden uh, that is frog and toad friendly if you have that ability to do so. Um, and that can actually help quite a bit too. And there's so many other ways as well. Opossums are another great animal that controls a lot of insects too. And animals like garter snakes actually eat roaches and other bugs as well as small lizards and things like that. And uh, ducks eat snails. <laughs> and what else? Um, uh, screech owls eat roaches as well. So you can have little owl boxes in your own environment to invite owls into your life. Um, owls are also a great rodent control too and so are snakes of course. So those are a few suggestions. <laughs> so please do your research out there before just spraying poison everywhere. We want to make sure and be careful with that, okay? All right. Oh, you're welcome. Hello, Lisa. She says, thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. What happens if they injure their antenna? So the fun thing about being a, a invertebrate with an exoskeleton that molts periodically. Now, when they're an adult like this, they don't molt as often because when they're babies, they need to hurry up and get bigger. Not only to hurry up and be able to procreate your species, and breed, right? But they also need to hurry up and get bigger because the smaller you are in the natural environment, the more vulnerable you are in general. Most baby animals grow pretty quickly. Not There are exceptions, of course. But when the roaches are smaller, they shed a lot more often. But when they get bigger, they molt or shed a lot less often. However, if he were to injure his antenna or break an antenna off, the next molt, it should be grown back. They can actually regenerate those things, but it has to wait until he molts. It's not going to be like an axolotl where they grow their uh, their gills back or their arms or her tails and things. And it's not like a lizard with a tail autotomy if they lose a, a tail that it grows back. It's not the case with the roach, but um, same thing for like a tarantula if they lose one of their legs or something like that. Same thing with the roach as well. They can lose their legs or their antenna and uh, actually regenerate them as they molt again. Now, if they're at the end of their lifespan, then they're not going to do that, and they're not going to molt again, so they're just going to be at the end of their lifespan. And remember, they only live to be about three to five years, which is very long for an insect, but very short when it comes to being an animal in general. So it just kind of depends. Now, you guys can see some of the features on this roach. I don't know how well you guys can see on Instagram, but there are little spots on the abdomen there. See? We're going to talk about those next. Those are the sphericals. Sphericals exist not just on insects, but on other animals too. But in the case of insects, they are on the abdomen here. 
And uh, also arachnids have sphericals on their tummies, <laughs> but that is how these animals breathe. So the, um, the little dots are actually little holes. Can y'all see that? And that is how a Madagascar hissing cockroach would breathe. It's also how a Madagascar hissing cockroach would hiss <laughs> too. Now, why do they hiss? A lot of people ask me that. A lot of people can hear it um, when they get a little bit agitated. They will kind of hiss. It's a defense mechanism sometimes, and they get a little bit surprised when we pull them out of there. Ooh, I surprised him with my breath. Uh, we pull them out of their travel enclosure or their enclosure in general and pick them up. They might give a little they don't really have any other defense other than jumping out of trees and falling down, like we said before, and hissing. They don't have a biting mouth. They have a very, very benign mouth, only designed for eating soft things like lettuce and other plants, bananas, fruits, dirt, <laughs> etc. Uh, so their mouth is not going to be defensive at all. They hiss to scare away enemies. Because remember, what does a hiss mean? A hiss could mean snake. A hiss could mean angry animal of some sort. So a lot of times that's enough to kind of deter those animals from eating them, especially animals like lemurs. Lemurs are really scared of snakes. There are snakes in Madagascar where these guys live as well, right? And lemurs live. Lemurs only live in Madagascar. And Madagascar hissing cockroaches live in Madagascar as well. That is what we call um, being uh, endemic to that area. That's the only place that they are found in the entire world. Oh, hair got in the way. Um, and they are secluded on that island of Madagascar because of course it's an island and these guys don't swim in the ocean and neither do lemurs. A lot of animals in Madagascar only live in Madagascar. So they have a lot of pressure on them to survive because they don't have anywhere else to go. That's kind of like a shame, right? So we need to make sure and protect uh, uh, ecosystems like Madagascar. Madagascar is not doing very well right now. Many animals, not including the Madagascar hissing cockroach because they're doing okay, many animals in Madagascar are actually endangered or critically endangered or becoming extinct because of the environment going away due to, man, <laughs> uh, humans. So humans will come in and uh, destroy the forest for buildings or um, basically for palm oil uh, farms and things like that. And uh, not great. So they're losing their homes. That's the main reason that animals are going extinct in any jungle uh, habitat. But Madagascar is one of those, unfortunately. I know it's kind of a, a downer topic, but I wanna make sure you guys know that. They're only found there, so they are very precious. Precious. Um, so they're hissing when it comes to being a lemur. Lemurs are scared of snakes. Uh, there are a few species of snake in Madagascar. The largest is actually the Dumeril's boa constrictor, which can get pretty large. The female Dumeril's boa constrictors uh, can get around eight foot and they are very capable of eating lemurs. They are a pretty large boa constrictor. Um, and so lemurs are naturally scared of them because that's their, one of their main predators. Another animal that lemurs um, oftentimes get hunted by is going to be the fossa. A fossa is a type of cat-like, civet-like, kind of almost ferrety looking animal that climbs trees and actually can hunt lemurs. But that's a mammal, right? But what they're they're mimicking is that hiss, a hissing sound. Another reason, whoa, he wants to run now. Bye. So you jump down to the keyboard. But guess what? He's just fine. I'm gonna pick him back up and everything's okay. I think I just startled him with my voice. Sorry. You not like my beautiful voice? I apologize. Is that better? If I'm just gonna speak the whole rest of this presentation in Madagascar hissing cockroach language. Is that okay with you guys? Did you understand me? No? Well, I'll say it in English. So another reason that they actually hiss is for communication. They do actually hiss for talking to each other. Um, most of the males, this is a male, by the way, I'll tell you why in just a minute how I know that or how I can tell, I guess. Um, 
hissing to attract mates, hissing to talk to one another. To me, the hissing that sounds like that and the hissing that's for defense sounds exactly the same, but I'm sure to them, they understand. So that's pretty cute. So the reason that I know he's a boy, this is an awkward way to hold my hand. So I'm gonna turn him over a little bit, gently, gently. Uh, he's crawling up my arm. Okay. Oh my gosh, he's such a good little climber and a good little jumper. Oh, I think he hissed just now. Okay, that on the head. Let's see if you guys can see over here. Let me get my camera focused and everything. Right here on top of his head, he's got two little bumps. You can call them bumps. You can call them horns. You can call them whatever you want. See on Instagram, see his two little bumps there on the top of his head. Kind of like little, look like little cute little ears on the top of his head. They're not ears. They are bumps and those are only seen on males. It's kind of like a little helmet that he wears. And that's where his cute little head is with his little antenna. You guys see? Oh my gosh, he's feeling around. Their um, best senses are gonna be touch, feeling, right? Feelers, feeling, but also smell. They smell with their antenna as well. They smell and touch and they can hear as well. They're pretty neat little animals, right? And uh, definitely wasn't my cup of tea at all when I first started working with some of these critters. I'm, I'm good with almost any creepy crawly in the world. Centipedes give me the creeps, but centipedes actually can harm you. So I don't handle those guys. Uh, but the Madagascar hits and cockroaches took me a long, long time to get used to actually holding and handling them. But I've gotten a lot better, as you can see. And now there's some of our animal ambassadors. Here's a good question. What do you do with the hissing cockroach babies? Do you raise them? Yes, we do raise them. So some of these that you're meeting right now, some of this, this one, I'm sure in particular, I'm pretty sure he was one of our babies at one point and has just grown up over time. <laughs> uh, yes, we do keep them and we raise them up. We give them lots of good food to eat and lots of good water, right? Give them a, a nice little tropical environment in their habitat and they do just fine. They grow very well and they, they grow up in a couple years. They're gonna be pretty much full grown, which is pretty quick because <laughs> they start off super duper tiny, like this big. And the more you feed them and uh, whatnot, they, the faster they grow. Uh, Samantha says, oh, wow, he has a little helmet. Yeah, it kind of does look like a little helmet. He's not so bad, huh? Hope you guys are getting over it. Whoa, see, it's like a flying leap. You cannot fly, you can't just take a flying leap. Do you guys want to see a female but to compare the male and the female? Let's see how she feels about it. Hmm. I'm keeping them on mulch right now, so there might be a little bit of dirt. It's not them, it's the mulch. Now, I forgot to tell you one of the neatest facts about them. The male saying, goodbye, I'm leaving. I am done, so done with all this. I want you guys side by side. Say cheese, say hi. Okay, so the male is, well, hanging out kind of on top of the female. It's a family channel, you guys. And the female's underneath at this point. But the female, as you can see, has a smooth head. I don't know if you guys can see that or not. They're like, oh my gosh, I know you, hi. Um, so the female has a very smooth head with no bumps and the male has the bumps. That's an easy way to tell. That's the only way to tell with adults, as far as I know, unless one of them has babies, obviously, then you know it's a girl. <laughs> Remember they have uh, live babies. They don't lay eggs or anything like that. So cool, but they are um, dimorphic in that way. They're sexually dimorphic, which means male and female look different. Did you ever think that something like a bug, an insect could be sexually dimorphic where you can say, oh, that's a guy and that's a girl. That's pretty cool. I just think that's so neat. A lot of people just don't really have uh, 
you know, that sort of thinking when it comes to something so different than us. And that's my theory as to why um, people don't necessarily like certain animals. And you guys tell me if I'm wrong or you tell me your opinion, but why do you think that some people don't like bugs or some people don't like snakes or some people don't like spiders or even birds or whatever. Um, I think it's because they're so different than us. Animals that have multiple legs, animal, well, we all have multiple legs. Animals that have more legs than us, <laughs> more limbs than us. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of any animal with one leg. Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> uh, multiple, 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 multiple legs, limbs, lots of limbs. That's kind of creepy to some people, I think animals that look different than us, animals with no legs, like snakes and worms and things like that. I think it's because they're different than humans or different than dogs and cats. And so we're a little bit, um, we're a little bit nervous about something different or xenomorphic, right? Um, if you have, if you're xenophobic, that means you're scared of new things. You're scared of something different than you. Uh, so we want to encourage you guys to open your mind a little bit. I understand if you don't like roaches, that is okay. <laughs> I don't either most of the time, but I want to encourage you guys to be a little bit more open-minded. And we can definitely help you guys conquer some of your fears and maybe misconceptions, apprehensions about some of these bugs and snakes and things like that. Pretty cool, right? I think so. So that is uh, a couple of our Madagascar hits and cockroaches. This is the female right in the front. See her? The female in the front, male behind, female, male. And yeah, we do raise them up. That was a really, really good question. Um, we typically do keep them. As long as they do well, we, we keep them and we have more for later. Um, these guys are very, very easy to take care of. Um, they don't really demand much. They're very quiet most of the time unless they're hissing. And you don't have to feed them every day. These guys eat about once or twice a week. Unless they're the babies, then we'll usually feed them a little more often than that to make sure that they're growing and doing well. Um, but they're a pretty easy animal to keep, just like the snake is. Bye! Our little female roach jumped down. There they are together. You'll see they have a slightly different coloring. Um, that's probably because they're at two different stages of molt. The lighter they are, the more recently they've molted, the darker they are, the more uh, likely they are going into molt. Then they'll get darker and darker and darker until they turn almost very, very dark, almost black, brown, um, and they will molt shortly after that. Awesome, let me know if you guys have any more questions. <laughs> they're friends. Let me, let me know if you have any more questions about our Madagascar hissing cockroaches. Everybody's favorite, right? <laughs> I did know a few children when I worked at Dallas Zoo that that was actually their favorite. Like no joking, it was actually their favorite animal of all the animals we had, <laughs> which I thought was so cute. The, the Madagascar hissing cockroaches. The female looks bigger, bigger maybe slightly. They are friends. Uh, they are very social animals. They do not do well all by themselves. If you want Madagascar hissing cockroaches, they're not a bad pet. Um, a pretty decent animal to uh, have for your kids and things like that. Very easy if you're into that sort of thing. Or maybe you're an entomologist and you like bugs. Um, or you want to be an entomologist in the future. That would be cool. Or you just like them. Um, they don't do well by themselves. So I do recommend getting at least three of them. That way you can have like a little colony. And uh, they are very social. They feel a lot more comfortable in a colony. Like most colonial bugs do, right? You wouldn't keep a bee by itself either. <laughs> All you beekeepers out there. Uh, you would keep them in big groups, right? Right. Okay. 
<laughs> I've made you look at creepy crawlies differently. Which creepy crawlies are your favorites? You guys tell me what creepy crawly animals you consider to be creepy crawly and which animals are your favorites of all the creepy crawlies. If I had to pick a favorite invertebrate, that's really, really hard. I really like spiders. I think spiders get a really bad reputation. Um, if you don't like insects, there's no reason to kill spiders because spiders help the insect population, right? So yes, um, uh, I really like tarantulas, especially. Probably pink toe tarantulas are probably my favorite invertebrate, if I had to just name one off the top of my head. Pretty cool. All right, you guys. Mm. Don't forget, we also have our stickers over at onceinawild.com. If you want to join us out at Alamo Ranch this weekend on Sunday, this Sunday, uh, which all the information is going to be found at onceinawild.com right here. If you're on Instagram, it's going to be in our bio description. Onceinawild.com, go to the homepage, and that will tell you all the information about our upcoming events, like Alamo Ranch pop-up. Alamo Ranch pop-up um, market. <laughs> we are doing one of those this weekend on Sunday from 11 to 4. Um, we are going to be selling our stickers there, but you can also order stickers at onceinawild.com, and we'll just ship them to you as well. If you do want to support what we do and help to feed our roaches, feed our snakes, <laughs> and take care of all of our animals, their favorite food, by the way, is bananas. They love bananas and fruit. By far, that's their favorite, I've noticed. Uh, they, I can give them a plate of bananas and maybe lettuce and some other tree leaves and something else, and they eat the bananas first every time. So they do have their favorites. They love it. Helps them grow really quickly if they're babies. Um, so if you want to help us get more bananas for our roaches <laughs> and uh, more mice for our snakes and things like that, etc etc and you help want to help support what we do and uh, our education for animals and trying to make the world a better place you can support us at venmo cash app paypal once on a while.com has all those links for all of that by the way and uh there's also our amazon wish list if you want to donate some items to our animals as well you can always do that that's a lot of fun or you can book your own animal encounter that's a really great fun way to help us out too and you get something in return of course not just the stickers and the merch but you can also purchase your own animal encounter whether it be a virtual encounter kind of like this we'll have a customized encounter for you um, with the animals of your choosing or you can uh, have an in-person encounter if you happen to be right here in San Antonio, Texas. We do service San Antonio and surrounding areas as well. So for our last animal, we do not have a creepy crawly. Let me see what some of y'all's favorites were. Hmm. <laughs> Cockroaches and tarantulas. Really surprising. Cockroaches aren't typically the favorite, but you know what? When we take them to um, in-person encounters, they're a lot of times a big hit, whether that's like, like a, oh my gosh, like kind of response, or it's like a, oh, let me hold it because they are holdable, like we were saying at the beginning. Okay, you guys, so our last animal is actually going to be not a creepy crawly. So for those of you that have been waiting for a furry and uh, cute animal, if you will, I think they're all cute, but a more traditionally cute animal. That is going to be our last animal. Uh, for you guys on Instagram, I'm going to step away and go get him. He is typically very, very noisy by nature. So I don't usually keep him in the room. He tends to scratch and play and make all kinds of fun noise, which is really irritating. <laughs> so I keep him in the next room for uh, intermittently through the, through the live stream where we go through the other animals. And I'm going to go get him for you guys on Facebook and YouTube, <laughs> I'm going to pause and I'll be right back. But you guys on Instagram, you're gonna see a purple screen backdrop for a little bit and I'll be right back as soon as I can. Okay, you guys, I'll be right back.
And we're back. And guess who's here today? It's Thor. And Thor is one of our wonderful domestic ferrets. Uh, usually we bring Loki onto the onto the show, but I thought I would give Thor a chance today. Thor is our beautiful white ferret. He is a dark-eyed white ferret. He's not an albino. If he were an albino, he would actually have red eyes instead of black eyes. And he actually um, was very silver when he was a baby. He actually lost a lot of his silver. As an adult, I'm going to turn the light down a little bit lower because he's awfully white here in this lighting. But he is a dark-eyed white ferret. Now, he is a domestic ferret, and domestic ferrets come from the animal, the European pole cat in the wild. And, of course, Europe, European pole cats are from Europe, just like their name says. And the ferret, the domestic ferret, has been domesticated for about 3,000 years now, a little more or less. We weren't really there 3,000 years ago, so we don't really know all the records for that, but around that. And they were domesticated originally for hunting purposes, not for hunting them, for hunting with them. So these guys are very strong and capable carnivores. We were talking about in the first part of the program that we were going to have a mammal that was one of our most capable and dangerous predators. Did you expect a ferret? Ferrets are obligate carnivores and their cousins in the wild where the animal comes from in the first place, their origin species, the European polecat, they're also a obligate carnivore. That means they eat meat and only meat. And these guys are one of the more um, hungry of all the carnivores in nature. Um, they are a part of the weasel family, which is um, more specifically known or more scientifically known as the mustelids. Mustelids are the weasel family, which includes weasels, of course, <laughs> ferrets, uh, ermines, badgers, wolverines, and otters. And all those animals are very capable hunters and some of the, the top predators in their ecosystem. These guys can eat anything they want as long as it's a smaller animal than them. However, these guys can eat animals up to four to five times their size, including animals like very large rabbits, very large rodents like groundhogs. They can even eat very large birds like ducks and waterfowl. Isn't that amazing? These guys can pretty much eat whatever animal they want. They have to eat it in small bites, of course, because they aren't the biggest predator on the block. <laughs> However, they're very capable and they actually do not hibernate through the winter. Many other animals that live in Europe do hibernate and they will kind of, their, their body will shut down to survive, right? These guys do not do that. In the wild, the European polecat, which is basically a great big weasel where these guys come from, um, they have to survive throughout the entire harsh winter in Europe, where they're from. They're kind of found throughout Europe, but it gets very, very cold. And they have to be very smart about that and store up a lot of food. So before the winter or kind of during the winter, they will hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt and stash away a lot of food. In fact, they'll do that throughout the year as well because these guys have to eat all the time. Um, they're a type of predator that doesn't do well if they eat only once a day. They don't have a very long life expectancy. If they only eat that once a day, they have a high metabolism. So they're not gonna live very long if they're only eating once a day. Um, most other predators out there, eating once a day is just fine. Eating maybe every other day is usually just fine for most mammalian predators, mammals. Um, but other animals like snakes definitely don't eat every day or multiple times a day. They're going to eat maybe like once a week, maybe once a month. Some snakes eat every six months <laughs> and that is just how it is. A lot of other predators are like that too. Sharks and spiders, etc. But a lot of our mammals and birds too that are predators, they have to eat 
a lot more often. And ferrets and most mustelids love, love, love to eat multiple times a day. And uh, that is what they prefer. So a lot of times they will store away and stash away food. But what better time to stash away food than the winter time when you have free refrigeration <laughs> or any refrigeration in nature, right? They don't really have their own uh, refrigerator in their house. They have the cold weather and that's it. Now you might be wondering what he's eating right now. He's eating a special treat, which he only gets for training and programs. And that is gonna be chicken baby food, <laughs> yum yum. Our ferrets here at Once in a Wild though, Thor and his adopted brother Loki, they're on a raw diet. They get animal organs, they get animal bones, they get animal meat in general, muscle meat, all sorts of things which they would naturally eat in the wild. Um, they eat chicken, they eat uh, beef items sometimes. Of course, not the whole cow, that would be ridiculous. Um, but like things like beef heart and liver, etc. They're gonna eat uh, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> they'll eat a uh, rodent, they'll eat quail, uh, all kinds of stuff. And they're eating in nature the whole animal. So we balance that out by actually uh, kind of shifting around what they eat day to day. Every single morning, they're going to get something very similar, which is going to be what we call bone in, which is bone included meals like chicken wings or chicken necks, turkey necks, things like that, maybe whole rodents that has the bone in them. That's very important for their bowels. Otherwise, they get upset tummies. But every evening they have something swapped around. It could be organs like pancreas or heart or liver. Um, it could be things like muscle meat sometimes. It's, it's a balanced way of life. <laughs> it's a balanced meal they get. It's a, it's a raw meat diet. But right now he's getting a very special treat which he can kind of lick and stay busy with, which helps me to present him. Otherwise he's wanting to get down. As you can see, he expects the treats. So if I just pause for a little bit, he's like, give me more treats because they're not dumb. <laughs> Ferrets are very smart. Most of the mustelids are extremely intelligent. In fact, I would say all of them are. Badgers, wolverines, otters, all those guys, you know, are very smart. They're super cool. He's got really big whiskers. Now, one fun thing about the white ferret is that is how ferrets became household pets. Uh, so ferrets, like I said before, have been domesticated for around 3,000 years um, and originally domesticated for hunting, not for human companionship in the house. Uh, nothing like that. They really, really weren't like a lap pet at first. They were a hunting companion and that's it. So it's more like a working animal than anything else. Um, and they would use the, the natural colored ferrets, which is what we call sable, which is a very, very very dark body, almost black, with a white mask. And that is how they look in the wild as well as European polecat. Those of you that have seen Loki, our other ferret, um, he is actually a polecat hybrid, um, but he is the natural color of how they would look in the wild. And that is what they started out with, of course, just like a wolf looks like a, a wolf <laughs> at first before they were fully domesticated or a dog looked like a wolf, I should say. But you guys get the picture. Um, the ferret was trained for hunting uh, game like rabbits and things and groundhog. They're also trained for hunting vermin like rats and mice and maybe even insects and things like that. Snakes, they can hunt anything they want, like I said. So that was their main purpose for domestication in the first place. However, every now and then they would spontaneously, not on purpose, but randomly get an albino ferret. Remember, he's not albino. He is white like an albino. Albinos have red eyes and sometimes in nature animals end up being albino just because. So it just kind of happened. Look at that belly. He doesn't miss many meals, does he? Um, these guys, sometimes in nature, any animal, honestly, can end up as an albino. And when these guys are albino, they're white with red eyes. Now that doesn't really camouflage very well, does it? Unless it's winter time in the winter. <laughs> winter time in the winter. Winter time in the snow, rather. Um, so in the snow, he would camouflage pretty well. But most of the year when you're hunting those animals like rabbits, 
going to be the springtime, summertime, fall, things like that. So they didn't really want those white ferrets for hunting, but instead of discarding them, they would actually say, hmm, what can we do with these white ferrets? Maybe somebody would want them. So they ended up gifting them to lords and ladies and other rich people, and they started becoming household pets or castle pets, <laughs> things like that. Pretty cool. So the white ferrets ended up becoming the pet ferrets. And then they started noticing like, oh, these guys are actually pretty neat animal companions for the average person back in the old day, I guess. So you'll see a lot of old um, kind of uh, uh, medieval paintings, Renaissance paintings and things like that with pet ferrets. They call them ermines, they call them weasels, but it's a ferret. It's a domestic ferret. And you'll notice a lot of them in those paintings are white, like Thor. They might have red eyes, they might have dark eyes. And that is the whole reason why they became more of a household animal. Isn't that cool? And then throughout the thousands of years, they've literally, thousands of years they've been domesticated, we've been able to come up with other colorations of them like dark eyed white or silver. He started out as kind of like gray and white mix, which is called silver. And uh, now he's a dark eyed white. He does kind of have a blonde or yellowish tail. That's just how his fur has developed. He's awfully wiggly. Calm down, Thor. <laughs> I'm trying to show your beautiful colorations. He's kind of more of a yellow or golden color as he goes down his body, but mostly white, right? White boy, white boy, so cute. These guys are very, very serious predators. We cannot keep them around our roaches and we cannot keep them around our snakes at all. <laughs> they would not do well together. In fact, these guys would definitely eat them or try to at least, at least chase them down and kill them. Um, they're kind of like little cats, um, maybe even more capable than cats <laughs> when it comes to hunting, to be honest with you. Cats are extremely capable predators too. So please don't put your cats along with your small mammals and birds and things. Uh, the ferrets only have each other and humans to have company with around here. They don't hang out with any of our other pets. <laughs> Accidents happen that way. So a lot of people aren't aware of that, but ferrets are obligate carnivores. And you're very welcome. You love Thor. Hi, Eddie. Good to see you. We also have a bearded dragon named Eddie. You guys should meet sometime. Can you walk Thor on a leash? Uh, he does have a harness but we don't really harness or leash him very often. Uh, they don't really heal very well. They just kind of go wherever they want. So it's more him walking us. <laughs> wow, he likes treats. He definitely does. I know, a ferret. Did you expect the ferret today? He is so cute. Ferrets have a very strong bite. He is being very nice to me right now and not biting. But Thor has bitten me before. It doesn't feel great. You'd love to meet Eddie. That would be a lot of fun. Would he hang out on a bed or a sofa like a cat? Um, they're not really a very still animal in my experience, especially our ferrets because they're very healthy. We raised them on raw diet and they're holistic, which means they weren't um, neutered early and they're extremely healthy for being a ferret. Not every ferret is created equal in that matter, unfortunately. Um, they're not very lazy ferrets. They're always playing and romping around. Although when they are sleeping, they do sleep pretty hard. But if they're out, like out of their enclosure, they typically like woohoo party time. And they do have their own space for play, which is like their playpen. Um, that's bless you. <laughs> I don't know if that was a sneeze or like too fast of eating, but bless you either way. Your soul left your body, buddy. Bless you, Thor. Before we know it, you're gonna be fat, Thor. We keep eating all this food. Um. What was I saying? Oh, crashing on the couch. Not so much like a cat. Cats definitely adapt a little bit better to laying around on furniture. Although I do know a lot of people with ferrets that um, have lazier ferrets than us. So I guess not every ferret is the same. Right. 
Good question. Well, you guys, this happens to be our final animal of the night. I hope you guys have had so much fun during our live stream. I'm so glad to be back doing our regularly scheduled live stream. We are here every single Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, unless otherwise notified. Sometimes we do reruns when we have to, but it's rare. Um, but we will see you guys next week um, on Wednesday, same time same place here on Facebook and here on YouTube. I don't believe I'll be on Instagram next week because I do have a guest and it's really hard to film two people in this format because it's kind of a small uh, upright rectangle positioning, right? <laughs> um, so I won't be on Instagram next week, but look for some more fun announcements. And please don't miss, if you are here in the San Antonio, Texas area, please don't miss our event coming up, our public event over at Alamo Ranch pop-up market, which is from 11 to 4 this Sunday, this Sunday. And um, as we get more public events, we will post them at onceinawild.com with all the details. And that's where you can find the details for this Sunday as well, onceinawild.com. But each and every Wednesday, we hope to see you guys back. And we'll have a special guest next Wednesday. So stay tuned for that and some more fun announcements and things. And it's been a lot of fun tonight. If you do want to support us, we have Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, Amazon Wishlist, and you can book your own animal encounter as well to support us too. Every little bit helps. And uh, we've had a lot of fun tonight. If you guys want to say one last thing about Thor, one of my favorite things about the ferrets is how flexible they are. Look at this flexible back. They're so, so flexible. That is to help them tunnel underground because they are subterrestrial most of the time underground and they have a very flexible body you can see on instagram but he can't literally bend in half just like that and that's usually how they sleep is folded in half too that also allows them for predator protection because if they get grabbed back here they can't bend bend over and actually bite their enemies most of the time they're the predator but sometimes they have predators because they're not the biggest animal on the block, right? So animals such as birds of prey oftentimes end up being their main predators or larger mammals too. You never know, but they're super flexible, super capable of getting away, tunneling, things like that, and also biting if they turn around. Well, you guys, it's been a lot of fun. I have ferret food all over me, but we're going to go ahead and say see you later. See you next time. And uh, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and we'll see you guys later. Bye. <laughs> We are nothing close to all